Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. on this Monday morning. Could not do it Sunday morning like I thought I was going to be able to. The uh, house we were at this weekend did not have Wi-Fi after all. So, Monday morning it is. Welcome into the live stream. I'm Michael Borky. There is so much to talk about this morning. We ca- Recapping as much as we can in short time from week three, including uh, Mississippi State's loss to Memphis and then the statement from the SEC that came out after the fact, Matt Corral broke records against Tulane. The only SEC quarterback to do something was Matt Corral on Saturday night. A pretty remarkable record uh, when you look at it. Ole Miss dominates, weather sucked. Alabama, human? Possibly so. Florida State, or Penn State, Auburn. Bo Nix is who he is. We'll talk about that. LSU looks good coming into Starkville next weekend. So much to get to and just a little bit of time to do it. Before we dive into all that, though, I want to remind you that this is streaming on YouTube. If you don't use YouTube, uh, check it out there. My name, Michael Borky, on YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's the best way to watch this for sure. And uh, hit the notification bell as well so you never miss a second. Also, follow on Twitter and Facebook under the same name. And wherever you get your podcast, Mike in the Morning or My Name Should Turn Up Results and subscribe there. So. If you have a thought, by the way, whatever you have from the weekend, drop it in in, a, in the comments, and I will, uh, regardless of what platform you're on, I will be able to display them and, and see them and talk to them and stuff like that, or talk about them and stuff like that. So anyway, glad to see you guys. Welcome in. Let's talk a little bit. So Mississippi State, Memphis, everybody wants to talk about officials. Everybody wants to talk about officials, understandably so. Understandably so. We'll get to the statement in a second. Uh, really close game. And it was, I don't want to say compromised is probably not the best word, but the, the game is going to be looked at differently around here. People around here are going to look at that game in a certain way because of how this shook out. I'm going to display the statement from the SEC for you here. Um I wish there was a way I could do this a little bit faster. But here it is, the statement from the SEC after the game, specifically talking about the punt return. So as it turns out, I learned something new watching this game. I had no idea that on an onside kick, upon review, they can apply a penalty that didn't exist. I had no idea that that was possible. So if if you're one of those people out there that is still – talking about the penalty added to an onside kick. If you can believe it, as it turns out, uh, that is perfectly within the rules and like a good application of the rule. I did not know that. Uh, I didn't even see what the, like where the penalty was. Cause I was so like, I, I guess captivated by the fact that they added a penalty after review, but that was actually the right thing to do. 
or at least within the rules. That was the correct decision if that penalty, in fact, existed. Illegal blocking, I think, is what it was called. So, um, yeah, that is absolutely allowed. I had no idea. You learn something new every day uh, in college football, apparently, and that's the thing that I learned. You can, as an official, if there is a penalty, you can add a penalty on an onside kick. It's one of four. I think there are four different penalties that you can add on an onside kick. If you see it, um, it was well within the rules uh, for them to do that. I had no idea. Learn something new every day. Refs can add a penalty upon review during an onside kick if it's one of four penalties, and they did that. The issue in question was the punt return. The punt return where Mississippi State punts to Memphis. State covers the punt. Memphis's returner did that thing where he acts like he's catching it. Ball lands behind him. And State kind of, uh, how do you describe it? Uh, nonchalantly kind of touches the football and stuff, but they never downed it. And that's an important part here. They never down the football. It either has to come to a complete rest or you possess the ball. Just touching it, and I've seen some screen grabs going around, just touching the football is not enough. You, It has to come to a complete stop. It has to come to a rest or you have to pick it up. The issue was not the Memphis player picking up the ball and running. Uh, that would have been fine. And it would have been a touchdown if not for what the statement is talking about, where the official threw his marker and was putting his arms above his head. So the punt return had the official not done that would have been would have been a touchdown. And, and you know again there's a screen grab going around the ball as I understand it the ball has to be possessed or come to a complete stop. And in that case it had done neither. But the play should have been stopped as the official is putting his arms above his uh, above his head and he threw the marker on the ground. The play should have stopped there. Here's the statement from the SEC, by the way, and there were two number fours on the field. But here's the statement from the SEC that play should have should have been blown dead this when the official was putting his arms above his uh, above his head. And he was doing that before Memphis picked it up and ran with it. So the play should have been stopped there. And that could have been changed upon review. And it should have been a penalty on Memphis for having two number fours on the field, which would have negated the touchdown. So two separate failures from officials. And here's what the SEC said. At 558 in the fourth quarter of the Mississippi State at Memphis game, Mississippi State punts the ball downfield where the loose ball touches multiple kicking team players before a receiving team player picks up the ball and returns it for a touchdown. The kicked ball remained live by rule since it was not possessed by a player, nor did it come to rest inbounds with no player attempting to secure it. That's that's the thing. So people uh, who are sharing that screen grab of him touching the ball, that's not enough. Uh, that's not where the gripe should be. The gripe should be where the official's hands are above his head and he's signaling the play dead. That's where the gripe should be, not with the guy picking the ball up. It was still a live ball in that moment. Anyway, the statement continues. On the play, the back judge gave a signal, stop the clock, which is the hands above his head. Signal immediately after the receiving team possessed the ball. The inadvertent signal aspect of the play is reviewable, and the and replay should have stopped the game for a potential inadvertent signal. 
The subsequent review would have placed the ball at the spot where the signal was made. On the same play, two Memphis players were wearing number four, which is a violation and should have resulted in a five-yard penalty on Memphis. So that is the statement from the SEC on the punt return for a touchdown. Um, Two things here. And this is something that I talk about often. This is something that I, I talked about after the Ole Miss-Auburn game last year. Really any officiating error that has some kind of uh, an impact on the outcome of a game. Because on one hand, Mississippi State should have never been in a situation where a weird punt return for a touchdown loses you the game to Memphis. I think we can all agree on that, even if you're wearing the thickest maroon and white glasses. You can agree that one play should not have dictated the outcome of a game against Memphis. But it did. And when that happens, this should follow. I've argued this for years on the radio and and all that. This should follow when that happens. After the game, presumably Will Rogers had to talk to the media. Mississippi State players, Mike Leach, all these people had to talk to the media. But what bothers me most is, is that the college kids that played the game, 18 to 22 year olds, had to sit in front of, I guess it's still Zoom, depending on what program you're looking at, but they have to sit in front of cameras and answer questions. If a quarterback throws an interception that seals the game for his opponent, his 19-year-old self has to sit down, and there's 10 reporters in the room and a bunch of TV cameras, and ask him, what did you see on the play? How are you feeling right now? Oh, I bet it hurts to lose, doesn't it? Can you talk about the interception? you know, talk about questions and stuff. That happens. The 19-year-old that threw an interception that seals the game for his opponent has to sit down after the game and answer questions. The coaches, adult men, have to sit down and answer questions. What? Why did you make that call here? What did you see here? And if the coaches just tell the truth, they have to literally pay for it. They have to Pay a fine. The only person, people, that don't have to sit in front of cameras and answer questions after games are the officials. And I understand to some degree why that isn't the case, because there are some people that cover programs, as we know, that are so wrapped up in their fanhood that they couldn't fairly ask questions to an official after a game. However, this is the kind of situation where one of the people on that crew should have been asked questions. Maybe they don't do it because, like I said, there are people that are fans that cover these teams that cannot possibly ask objective questions to an official uh, without it getting weird. There are people, we, we know that, that cannot handle a situation like that. However, um, I think... If the college kids have to answer questions after they make a mistake on a field, an adult man certainly can do the same and should be asked to do the same because they are not, they're not perfect. They're not perfect. They screw up. Nobody's expecting perfection. This crew is not perfect. They screwed up. The SEC admitted it. So why is it so bad that they have to sit down in a room with some media members, just like the quarterback had to do five minutes ago. Hey, so that on that punt return, what did you see? Well, 
you know, we we did not see that there were two number fours on the field. That's something that, you know, that we need to correct and and pay closer attention to next time. Um, okay, well, what did you what did you see? What was the inadvertent signal decision? Well, from our vantage point, and you guys know the game happened so fast. From our vantage point, you know, the receiver picked the ball up before play was signaled dead, so we we let the play run its course instead of stopping it when we may not have needed to stop it. And clearly after the fact, we realized that, you know, we we should have stopped the play and replay should have stopped the play and, and we'll work hard and, and try to get it right. Something like that. And maybe fans would not accept that answer. I know fans didn't accept the statement, although I do at least appreciate some transparency from the SEC saying, hey, you know, we, we blew it. You you can't expect perfection from humans because you're never going to get it. Humans are going to make mistakes. Human officials are going to make mistakes. But also you have replay to help correct mistakes and replay should have. But either way, nobody's asking, I don't believe, for perfection. It's just not going to it's not going to go down like that. But when a mistake is made. The college kids have to face questions. Why do the adult men not have to face questions, too? Why are they the protected ones? I, I've never liked that. I don't like that concept. Um, they screwed up. They absolutely screwed up. I mean, Memphis was still going to get the ball. State's defense was just suffocating all day, though, so I don't know if Memphis was going to be able to score there because of how good State's defense was playing. But um, that's what everybody's talking about with this game in State and Memphis is is officials and referees and bad calls and the punt return and stuff like that. And I get it, certainly, because they admitted an error. Memphis scored a touchdown in what appears to be the deciding touchdown in a game that was a close game, as it turns out. A three or two-point game. And Memphis had a touchdown that the SEC admitted out loud should not have happened. I, I get it. I'm not going to tell you guys your anger is misdirected or anything like that. Uh, at all. They screwed up. They absolutely screwed up. And it's, there's nothing that anybody can say that'll make it better because that touchdown should not have happened. And I don't think you guys will will find it funny, but I, I do think it's kind of hilarious in terms of how bad the officiating mistake was that letting the play go was not the mistake. A ref stopping the play or trying to stop the play before he should have and then not stopping it when he incorrectly said he should have is the mistake. Like, it's just, that's refception right there. You know what I mean? It just, he shouldn't have been trying to stop the play. But since he was, they should have stopped it and they didn't. So he was wrong for trying to stop the play, and then they were wrong for not stopping the play when he said they should have. Just just mind-blowing. But it's a, it's, that's a tough way to lose. Um, it's, a, it's just a really tough way to lose. And, I mean, at least there's transparency from the SEC, I guess, but it doesn't make it any better. I still think, and this is something that I've said about games always, the official should have to answer questions after the. And it doesn't happen that way in the NFL. After the 2018 NFC Championship game, where there was the most pathetic blown call that cost the Saints a shot at the Super Bowl, those guys didn't have to answer questions. They got shipped right on out of the stadium as fast as they could. And they didn't have to face anything. 
at all. Nothing. It took the NFL how, how long to admit that it should have been. Those guys after that game, the same way Sean Payton and Drew Brees and whoever else the media requested had to sit down and answer questions. What did you see? What did you see? How did that happen? The adult men officials got shipped right on out of the state and didn't have to answer a single question. That's that's unacceptable to me. I, I, if you have an impact one way or the other on, on an outcome of a game, you should have to answer questions about the decisions you made on the field. Nobody's expecting perfection, I don't think. No rational person expects officiating crews to get every single thing right, but when you don't, you should have to answer for it. That's all. That's all that's all rational people are asking for, for sure. Brown Yeti says, State is 2-0-1 in my book. The last six minutes of that game was compromised. Um, Chris says, morning, gents. Can't hang around. My only comment is that Tulane, although they didn't score on Ole Miss at will, the times they did were really with ease. I'm worried Alabama will key in on what Tulane found. Well, one of Tulane's touchdowns came on a pick play that should have been flagged. But uh, I'll get to that in a, in a second because people are going to use – Alabama as a measuring stick for Ole Miss's defense, and they should not do that. They should not do that. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Brown Yeti also says, I hope we beat the hell out of LSU just to make a statement that it's our fault for letting Memphis win. We shouldn't have let that game be close. It's great perspective, and that's that's really what it is. Both of these things can be true at once. It can be true that Memphis's punt return for touchdown should have never happened uh, because the officials screwed up Stopping a play because an official screwed up. Just, again, just mind-blowing. But that that should not have happened. Uh, Memphis had two number fours on the field. So even without the screwing up of the stopping of, of play, Memphis still had two number fours on the field. That touchdown should have never happened. That can be true. And that touchdown was the difference in the game. That That is very true. It can also be true that that should not have been the deciding factor in that game from State's perspective. The game should have never been that close to where that was a deciding factor. All of that can be true at once. State, I mean, for lack of a better term, for, forgive my, my language, it's not bad, but State got screwed. That statement is admitting a screw-up. That play should have never happened. It's a screw job. Unintentional, not biased, just that's what happens. These guys need to go full-time. It's... They got screwed. Also, they should have not been in that position to get screwed. Both of those things can be true at one time. And as far as the game itself, what is so frustrating about watching Mississippi State play right now is it's the same. You could cut my post-game analysis from this game or the Louisiana Tech game or any game, even offensively, the NC State game, or any game from last season, Sands LSU, and it's the same. It's the same. Uh, It's just copy-paste. Mississippi State's offense is not explosive. And save for a couple of long passes when Memphis was gassed very, very late in the game, the offense is the same. Every week, it's the same. It's a defense will bring four and, and drop seven or bring three and drop eight. And nobody can get open because there's eight guys trying to cover four. And so Rodgers will take the snap and look around and nobody's open and then swing it to his running back. And his running back gets tackled three yards downfield. And it's it's just 
the same. The offense is the same every single week. And, you know, I have untrained eyes. I'm not going to try to sit here and tell you that I'm an X's and O's expert. So maybe things are happening that I'm not seeing. But that offense looks to me, from my untrained eye, identical every single week. And what that offense is going to be, is going to continue to be, in my opinion, is is empty calories. Efficiency is great. Like, Rodgers' numbers are, are fine. And people will roll their eyes at fine. I mean, he threw for 419 yards. That's supposed to be a great game in, in, in any level of football. 419 yards is 419 yards. But it came on 67 pass attempts. 67 pass attempts. Six yards per attempt. Mississippi State is very efficient. Will Rogers is efficient. He really hasn't screwed up. Not much. Um, he completes passes at a high level. What was he, 50 of 67? Yeah, that's that's good efficiency, 50 of 67. But it's six yards per attempt. It's Efficiency is just empty calories if it's not paired with some explosiveness. And Mississippi State right now is lacking an explosive, anything explosive on offense. It's not even part of it until super late in a game where an AAC team that's not very good defensively anyway is gassed. That's the most frustrating thing for me watching this team. It's the same thing every single week. Every single week, it's the same thing. At least that's how it looks. Defenses will drop eight back in coverage. Nobody gets open because each player has two players covering him. So you swing it to your running back and he gets four yards or whatever. And that's your offense. That's what it feels like. And you're not winning SEC games, a lot of them. You know, you got some on the schedule that that are winnable for sure, especially with how good you are on the other side of the ball. Zach Arnett is really salvaging what could be a disaster start for Mike Leach at Mississippi State. It hasn't been good. Like Fans are concerned, and I understand why, but it would be a lot worse if not for Zach Arnett and his defense being great. Very good. Just very good on that side of the ball. But it's just empty calories. Right now, 419 yards. That means nothing to me when it's on 67 pass attempts. There's no explosion. And and until there is any kind of explosiveness in the offense, this is what state games are going to look like. They're going to have to play great defense and hold on. That's what it's going to have to be. Because right now, and I don't know, I think part of it's probably offensive line play. They don't protect well enough to really have a deep passing game. Uh, But Maybe it's Rodgers as well. I mean, his arm strength is clearly not as good as other quarterbacks in the SEC. He's efficient, but you know maybe he can't test defenses vertically because he doesn't have the arm strength. I mean, there was one – Polk made a great play in that game on a deep pass, but that ball took forever, forever to get there. And if not for just an excellent play from a really good receiver, ball would have been picked off. Like, this this coming weekend – if Polk is double double covered and a ball is that poorly underthrown, LSU picks the ball off. That's that's just reality. Um, so maybe it's a Rodgers thing. Maybe he doesn't have the arm strength to test defenses vertically. I, I don't know why it's not happening, but I do know it's not happening. 419 yards on 67 attempts is not winning games against the better teams in the SEC. Like, yeah, you can beat South Carolina and Vanderbilt and Tennessee – 
I mean, Kentucky hadn't looked great, honestly. I mean, Kentucky should have lost to Chattanooga yesterday or, or Saturday. So, you know, that's a winnable game for State, I believe. But, and I know they don't play, you know, Tennessee and stuff, but you get my point. Is There's very few teams in the SEC where six yards per attempt is winning games. Very, very, very few. Um, and Chuck, that's how can an air raid offense look so boring? Uh, it's there's no explosiveness. I mean, they showed it a couple of times on Saturday. It was there a couple of times, but it's just it's not enough. It's not enough right now. Efficiency. I, I put this on Twitter. It was one of my better comparisons. I think efficiency is just empty calories. If it's not, if explosiveness is not included into that. Brownie says there is a good shot in double coverage that was caught, but there definitely is a lack of intensity whenever we are leading, dating back to the later half of the season. At halftime, I would have told you that State was going to win by 28 points. They were in complete control, of, complete control of that game. Um, and then they weren't. And then they just weren't. Um, it's tough, man. It's a tough loss. It's a tough loss because that punt return should have never happened. Should have never happened. Um on two different levels, it should have never happened. And that's a touchdown in a two-point game. That's tough to swallow. Uh, that's, like I said before, I mean, it's a screw job. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what happened. Uh, again, I don't think it's, some people think it's bias. It's not that. It's humans made bad mistakes. Um, that's not acceptable. I'm not saying that you should just deal with it. You should be mad today. I would be. I would be furious if I were you. But the game shouldn't have been that close. And until explosiveness is added to this offense, every week is going to look like this for State. And now they've got a big challenge, a big challenge coming up with LSU. Um, just talent-wise, I know you know they lose to UCLA. They struggled with McNeese. They looked much sharper last weekend. But you guys know this. I mean, LSU is still talented. And when the formula to stopping Mississippi State appears to be one that is able to that everybody can replicate regardless of talent. It's not like LSU has to sit down and really focus on a special game plan. Uh, They've got the athletes to execute it as well. Um, It's a big challenge for state. And they're, if they're going to win, they have to win ugly. They're going to have to win with defense and just enough points to, to get by. And luckily Arnett's group is able to do that, but it's a tough ask. It's a very important game this weekend for, for Mike Leach and state. It has got, they have got to, at some point, be able to score consistently on offense. At some point, they have to do it. And, you know, Saturday would be a good chance for them to do that. But right now, it's the same. Every week looks the same. At least the air rate is scoring more points than Moorhead. The defense averaged 19 points per game, and we lost four games that year. <sighs> yeah, I people forget that in Joe Moorhead's first season at, at State, they he had America's best defense. Yeah, that was uh, that was tough. That was tough. He did beat Ole Miss twice, though. He did do that. Gil says, for those that said not to be worried about Memphis, I told you so. I, I think at this point, uh, this is going to sound harsh, but I think at this point, Every game, with the exception of the FCS one you have later in the year, you should be worried about. 
Um, Because you can't score. Not enough. Not throwing 67 times a game, it's not enough. So, yeah, I remember that last week, man. Yeah, he, he you nailed that one. But, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a weekly thing. Until they can show something different offensively, it's going to be a weekly thing. Turning the page now, uh, Ole Miss Tulane. Matt Corral broke a record. He was the second quarterback in the history, in the history of college football, and the first quarterback ever in the Southeastern Conference to throw for three touchdowns and run for four touchdowns or more in a game. First ever. Uh, I know it's Tulane. Tulane didn't have a great defense and, and all that, and I talked about it on Thursday some, where this was a game where if Ole Miss is as good as we think they are, they should have won the way that they did because that offense should be able to move up and down the field against Tulane, and they certainly were able to do that. But think about the quarterbacks that have come through the SEC, and not just quarterbacks, but the dual threat ones as well, like guys that did run the football well as well as pass. Tim Tebow. Johnny Manziel, Cam Newton, Dak Prescott, although he, was, he, he wasn't he was used as much in the run game as the other ones, still a, a great runner. You get my point. Being the only quarterback in the SEC, considering what that league has had to do something like that, doesn't matter who the opponent is because they've all played two lanes and FCS teams and stuff as well. It's really impressive, and that's that's who he is at this point. I keep seeing people say things like, well, we don't know how special he is because he hasn't played Alabama yet. And one, there's a real chance that Alabama beats Ole Miss. It, it just kicks the crap out of him. Like, there's a real chance that happens. Alabama's the best team in America. It is on the road. But people that say that, I guess, ignored what happened a year ago. Um, Matt Corral lit up last year's national champion. Scored basically at will against last year's national champion. Also lit up last year's SEC East champion. Also lit up with a wide receiver or with a quarter, his backup quarterback playing wide receiver and a walk on that tight end because his best receiver, his second best receiver was injured for the game. His tight end had opted out of the game and beat a top 10 defense and lit them up as well in the bowl game. We saw the yards and numbers he put up against Mississippi State, who had an objectively great defense last year. People that say, well, wait till Alabama, I guess um, are, are unaware of the sample size that we have. And like using Alabama as a measuring stick, I think is crazy. Like if Corral doesn't throw for 400 yards or whatever against Alabama, people are going to be like, oh, well, he's not that good. We have sample size against. Alabama that shows that he is capable of doing that. He's he's special. It's just that simple. He's special. And Chase, I noticed that. The guys I was watching the game with uh, were kind of giving me crap because I said that. A couple of uh, deep balls he threw were a little underthrown. And um, that wasn't an arm strength thing. It was uh, he put too much air under the ball. Um, I wouldn't be worried about that at all. just put a little too much air under it. That's not an arm strength issue. Um, but still, I mean, even the underthrown ones for Corral go for touchdowns or are just like a foot underthrown. Like, that's how precise he is with his deep ball. Just a, a couple of them, just a little too much air underneath the football. Um, that's all it is. 
But I mean, if that's the biggest gripe for for what he's been able to do, then then you're fine. Um, but I, I noticed that as well, Chase. I'm glad that somebody has my back because uh, I was catching crap about saying that he underthrew a couple of footballs, and they were like, "What are you talking about?" He, he did, he did, and that's okay. But that, that's who he is at this point. He's he's just a special he's a special player. And after watching him against Oklahoma and Rattler against Oklahoma, any team. And I've watched a lot of Rattler. I watched him a lot last year, obviously, because of where I work. I've watched every game that Corral's played in. Uh, any professional team, any of them, that take Rattler over Corral is making a mistake. It's just that simple. It's really just that simple. Uh, one's just multiple heads better than the other. Yes, I know Rattler's talented or whatever, and he can run a little bit. Obviously, Corral can run as well, but... Rattler's not as consistent throughout the course of a game. I mean, we all know Corral's issues. He had two games last year where he turned the football over a lot. It was really one and a half uh, where he turned the football over a lot, had those blow-up games. But through the course of a game, Corral is more consistent than Rattler, a lot more consistent. I think he's more talented, honestly. Uh, but anyway, that's just that was a special night, regardless of opponent. Again, Tulane's not great. The schedule... Is going to get tougher, and we're going to find out in two weeks. You know just how really ready this team is to compete at a national level. I don't like using Alabama as a measuring stick uh, because this is year two under Kiffin, and he inherited a roster that had a lot of holes. And year two, he should not be ready to go to Tuscaloosa and win. If that happens, it's an incredible win. But if if they go there and lose by three scores or whatever, you're going to have people that are going to say that, well, Ole Miss wasn't as good as we thought. Using Alabama as a measuring stick in year two, after you took over a program that was dead in the water, that, that's, not what, that's not what I'm going to do. Alabama's not a measuring stick for Ole Miss. They're not a measuring stick for Mississippi State. They're not a measuring stick for 97% of college football right now. Uh, they shouldn't be anyway. Uh, that, that I just I keep hearing people say that. Well, wait till Alabama. We'll see if they can win then. No, that's not. Arkansas is a measuring stick for Ole Miss. We'll find out how real they are when they play Arkansas a week later, not when they're going to Tuscaloosa. Like I don't know. I, I've just I, I refuse to use Alabama as a measuring stick for the teams in Mississippi right now. I don't think that they. There was no scenario in which they would have been ready to really compete in these games. And if they happen, if, if Ole Miss happens to beat Alabama, it's a massive win and we're having different conversation. I just, I don't think it's a measuring stick game. I think it's a free shot is really what it is. It's a free shot, not a measuring stick, but Patrick says, can Ole Miss make the playoff if they lose to Alabama, but run the table and not make the sec championship. It's an interesting question. Um, Probably not. And here's why. Only because if Alabama beats Ole Miss, right, and Ole Miss happens to run the table, Alabama will likely meet Georgia in the SEC championship. And if both of them are undefeated going into the SEC championship, I don't think that they will be left out in favor of Ole Miss who never got there. If they're each other's only loss, I think they would both make it because Georgia would have that win over Clemson. They would have obviously beaten Florida as well in this scenario. Um, 
if if that were to be the case, Georgia needs to lose a couple, or at least a different game besides that of uh, Alabama in the SEC championship. It's possible, though. I mean, what what I'm so fascinated by is that we may have parity. I'll get to that in a little bit. Brown Yeti says, I wish I would have gotten a Matt Corral ticket for the Heisman before the season at plus 3,000. Uh, a listener to the radio show got him at plus 5,000 for 100 bucks. That's pretty good. That, uh, that, that'll make your day right there. But um, no, I, I still, right now, I'm not under the belief that Ole Miss is going to win enough for him to win uh, the Heisman. I think at this point, I would be surprised if he's not like in the top five invited to New York or something like that with the way he's playing. He just has to continue approaching the games the way he does. And I'm not talking about preparation. I don't know how he prepares. Apparently, it's been exceptional. Like, he's just taken it to another level. But he's not risking bad throws into bad windows. Even in their wins last year when he would really light teams up, there were a couple throws a game where it was like, uh, he shouldn't have thrown that ball. So far through three games, he is really just taking what defenses give him. Instead of forcing it into windows where it doesn't belong, he's being patient. And if that continues, if that continues, he will put up a billion points in yards, he will be a top 10 pick in the draft, and he will get invited to New York for the Heisman ceremony. I'm still not convinced yet that the defense is ready to win games like Alabama. Uh, I, I, I could be proven wrong. I would love to be proven wrong, because that Saturday night, you guys would absolutely blow this stream up if it happens. I'll be at a wedding, though. Uh, an incredible, uh, incredible guy that I've known for a long time, and uh, his soon-to-be wife seems to be an amazing person. I love them dearly. They are getting married in Jackson, outside of Jackson, but in the Jackson area, mostly Ole Miss people. The day Ole Miss plays Alabama, <laughs> Tuscaloosa, love them to death. I wouldn't miss it for the world. And uh, anyway, yeah, so. It might be super late Saturday by the time I'm talking with that game to you guys is what I'm saying. But um, I still don't think that they are ready yet defensively to win a game like that. They are better. They are clearly better. Um, zero second half points against a team like Tulane, especially after the weather cleared up, was impressive. And that was a Tulane offense that went to Oklahoma and, and really, I mean, Scored 35 points, 14 more if you want to use transitive property. But one of the touchdowns Tulane scored, there should have been an interception that was dropped on that touchdown drive. And then there was a pick play that should have been flagged on another touchdown too for Tulane. So they played well. They did. They are very clearly, obviously better. Uh, They tackle better. Uh, They're in better position. Defensive line is controlling the line of scrimmage better. They even physically, the, like the same guys look like they're in better shape. I, I still don't think they're ready yet. I think they're not deep enough in, in a couple of spots. They're not talented enough yet, I don't think, to win a game against Alabama, like, say, the way Florida almost did. Florida controlled the lines of scrimmage against Alabama, wouldn't let Alabama run on them. I don't think Ole Miss is, is ready yet personnel-wise to, to do that. Um, I could be wrong. And, hell, Ole Miss should have beaten Alabama last year, and their defense would have given up points to Madison Central High School. So, you know, it's certainly possible. They are clearly better. 
I just don't know if it's enough yet. That's all. But offensively, clearly, they're, they're going to be able to score and, and win games just like they did last year with their offense, clearly. To make it to New York City, he can't fall off a cliff. He'll probably be there even if Ole Miss goes 8-4. and four. I can see that. I can see that. The, the challenge with Ole Miss's schedule moving forward is they have an early bye week. They're going to have to play nine games in a row. That sucks. Um, and they don't really get a, a break. You know, I think they will beat Liberty the same way they beat Tulane. I think Tulane would beat Liberty. I watched some of Liberty Troy, and they're Malik Willis. If he goes number one overall, another team's making a mistake. By the way, he's a good player, but let's pump the brakes there. Um, they st- they don't get a break though. That'll be a weird environment, and like they have to show up and play. Like it's not Tennessee Tech or whatever, where they can just kind of sleepwalk through the motions they play nine games in a row where each week they've got to show up and play and that's physically taxing on a team like there might be a letdown coming somewhere uh in that because that's just physically really demanding but uh right now i think they'll be favored i got AM at home we'll see what they look like without haynes king but i'm not entirely impressed with them either way uh, i mean they'll be favored in the arkansas game They'll be favored in Knoxville. Uh, they'll possibly be favored against AM. They'll be favored in the Egg Bowl as of today. They'll be favored against Vanderbilt. I mean, there's there's one or two games remaining where they won't be the Vegas favorite going into it. So there's a real chance for, for a big season. Um, the challenge there with their schedule is there in the SEC. is like the SEC. Oh, I cannot read. Let me just. Start over. The challenge with their schedule is like the rest of the SEC West. You're in the West. Yeah, true. <laughs> Very true. There's just no off week in there, and then they have to. They do have to play Liberty, which is a game you have to show up and play. They're better than Liberty. There are Ole Miss fans that are scared of Liberty. Last Saturday tells you all you need to know uh, about that. But it's possible. I mean, it's there for them. Uh, they are improved defensively. I just don't think it's enough to win a game in two weeks. We'll see. I I just, I don't think so just yet, but they clearly are better. Uh, Shout out to all of the fans that, that stayed. I can't tell you I would have, I mean, sitting through a two hour rain delay where it was just pouring down rain. And then they started the game while it was still raining like crazy. Uh, You guys are the real ones. You are the real ones. And, um, it looked like fun. I've always wanted to go to a rain game like that, where like you know it's coming, so you're prepared. You know, you got a poncho and a rain jacket and stuff. I would love to go to one game like that. And what was impressive too, uh, from Ole Miss's side of, uh, of things, is the weather clearly prevented them from doing everything they wanted to offensively. You couldn't throw the ball. I mean, you ha- you really had to like baby the football because it was so hard to keep a grip on and it was raining so bad and the guys couldn't keep their hands dry so they were dropping footballs early but it didn't matter I mean it was it was wet it was raining they they had to go away from exactly what they wanted to do offensively and uh and still looked uh looked like that so it was just a it's an impressive win I mean you know it's Tulane you don't throw a parade for it um they're a pretty good football team you know, can score points, shut them down largely. 
especially in the second half, and they could have scored 100 if they wanted to. I did love the play call after Tulane tried to do that sneaky onside kick where Lane was like, all right, you know, F you, deep ball, touchdown, like, the next play. I respected that. That was a very, like, middle fingers up play call after that uh, little onside kick they tried to do. But that's about all you can take away is, you know, it's Tulane. You, you beat them the way a team that is ranked number 13 in America should beat Tulane. They did it comfortably. Corral special. You are improved defensively. Rest up this weekend. Get Jake Springer healthy. Get whoever else is banged up healthy. And um, get ready for college game day and 2.30 on CBS and the storylines around playing Alabama in Tuscaloosa with a former Saban assistant as your head coach and a Heisman contender. This is this is why we love football for games like this, and we'll get one in two weeks. But we have State and LSU next weekend sandwiched in between, which is an important one around here. LSU was sharp yesterday. LSU was sharp, and uh, or not yesterday, Saturday. And yeah, it's Central Michigan, whatever, but they looked good. And uh, if I'm a state fan, I'm really concerned about that because that looked like a winnable game for you until 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 you saw that. Alabama, Florida was excellent. I don't know how much of that game you guys got to watch because uh, State and Memphis was on at the same time, but we did the two TV setup. Uh, I got to watch a lot of football this weekend. Sadly, it uh, it just we were at the lake and it, and it rained, uh, so that was a bit of a bummer. But had a great time anyway. Got to watch a lot of football and, and hang out with some good people. But um, we did a two TV thing, so I got to watch both. Um, I had a good pick, by the way. I told you Florida was going to cover that, so. Pat myself on the back here. I went 3-0 and with you guys on Thursday. Uh, back in the game, as far as picks are concerned. But um, the main takeaway from that game, I think it's a larger picture of college football. Not just about Alabama. Alabama's clearly beatable. They're still the best team in the SEC. I still think they're going to go undefeated and win, uh, you know, go to the playoff or whatever. But they're vulnerable. They're beatable. Florida controlled the line of scrimmage a little bit. Florida's able to run the football a little bit. Uh, against Alabama, and Emory Jones had some success on the ground himself. Alabama's human, and and that's the biggest takeaway for me. Alabama is human, and because of their humanity, you look at the rest of college football, and we might actually have a year that I've been begging for for so long, a year where it doesn't feel like there's three teams that are better than everybody else, and nobody else has a chance. Clemson Could have, should have, would have lost to Georgia Tech on Saturday night. Only scored 14 points. Clemson's got flaws, man. Uh, Up front on the offensive line, especially, they're quite bad. DJ's struggling so far. I didn't expect that. Clemson's got flaws. Alabama is beatable. They're human. We saw it. They're definitely beatable. We saw that. Ohio State can't stop anybody. They're struggling to score. It's a mess right now. They're changing play calling responsibilities on defense. Tulsa was winless going into the game, and they really, really pushed Ohio State. Oklahoma, clearly, we know, is vulnerable and flawed. I think their defense isn't very good. They have struggled both at home with Tulane and Nebraska. I think a loss is coming at some point for Oklahoma. They're definitely not perfect. Uh, Oregon is flawed. Good, but flawed. Uh, who else is the best in college football? Georgia, I yes, they have scored, what, 52 and 40 points or whatever in their last two games. I think they're going to struggle to move the football and score against the better teams on their schedule. Great defense, one of the best I've seen in a while. Can't score. Georgia's flawed. 
everybody right now at the top of college football, Iowa's not explosive. I think once Iowa plays somebody with a pulse, it, it, they're not explosive enough. But they're solid. Everybody at the top of college football right now is flawed or human. And I love that. We've needed that. I was so happy to see Alabama. Even though they won, I was so happy to see them struggle. They're human. And everybody else in college football is human as well. We might have a year where it feels like it's actually a toss-up between a larger group of teams that can actually maybe beat each other. Sports needed that, and uh, and you love to see it. Um, Miami's on coaching firing watch as well. So join Florida State, who's 0-3. Yikes. And uh, if they fire Mike Norvell, uh, you might as well just call Deion Sanders because nobody else is taking your job if you go two years fired, two years fired. But anyway. Uh, go ahead and add Miami to that list of potential jobs that might be open at the end of this year after their home loss to Michigan State. Um, not looking good right now. There's a little unrest over there at the U. So that's your weekend recap. Not as long as uh, they usually are, but that's because I couldn't do this uh, actually on the weekend. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just find me on YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And uh, wherever you get your podcasts as well. I would appreciate that. So thank you. I'll be back tomorrow uh, right here at 8 o'clock on the radio this afternoon as well. Talking about the, especially about uh, officiating and state and Memphis. That'll dominate the conversation today on the radio, no doubt. So y'all be good. I'll get to this last comment here. Iowa, Alabama, and Georgia are the top three teams, but Iowa and Georgia are just really good uh, defensively, but still beatable, no doubt. It feels right now like there's some parity, which the sport needs desperately. So y'all be good. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 8. Thank you so much for tuning in. Sorry uh, about uh, no stream this weekend, but uh, the listing on Airbnb said Wi-Fi. There's no Wi-Fi. That's it. had a good time anyway. Y'all be good, and I'll talk to you again soon. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.